0: Good morning. It is uh, great to be with all of you on this beautiful, crisp Sunday morning. And uh, looking forward to what God has for us in his word. In 1976, 38% of Americans said that the Bible was the actual word of God and should be taken literally. But in 2017, according to a Gallup poll, only 24% of Americans said that the Bible was the actual Word of God and should be taken word for word. No surprise to this group in particular, you get that already, I understand. But starting in the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan has been feverishly working to undermine God's Word in the lives of people. Believers and unbelievers alike And if you can persuade people that the Bible is invalid and unreliable, mission accomplished, right? As far as Satan is concerned, it's relatively an easy mission because if people can disqualify the Bible as the word of God, which they are compelled to do naturally in their flesh, then guess what that means? What that means is is they are free to dismiss it as the authority over their life. So now they're free to think, speak, and do whatever they please because God's word is not their final authority. It's not valid. It can't be trusted. It's not the actual word of God. I want to give you this principle. I think it's very critical. Satan leverages our independent spirit against us. He does. That desire, that passion, that conviction that we all see even in toddlers, right? We have a phrase in our country, we call it the terrible twos, right? The terrible twos, and then something like the terrible teens and the terrible twenties, and how about this, the terrible forties and the terrible fifties and the terrible sixties. It's not just the terrible twos. All of us in our flesh, we have this independent streak that says, I do not want anyone or anything ruling over me. No, thank you. And it's not only Americans in general who reject the idea of being under the authority of God's word. There are born again professing Bible-believing Christians who have this same struggle. They're passionately independent and they will wrestle with God over authority in their life. Suddenly, they view being under authority as some type of a wicked expectation from God. That this is wicked. That you would actually expect me to place myself under any structure, under any person, and comply. That's wicked. And if there were ever a group of people who were entitled to hold that view, it was the audience that Peter was writing to. My goodness, they were being persecuted unjustly. But from verse 13 of chapter 2 to verse 7 in chapter 3, Peter's focus is on being under authority. Very clearly, can't miss it. And in the words of a very wise man, I won't actually say his name, but I will say that he is in life fellowship, and it wasn't me. But regarding the people that Peter was writing to, he said, if they could submit, we can. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about believers who were being butchered and persecuted beyond what you and I can comprehend. We've noted that this pleases God and Peter takes it next level in the verses that we're going to look at because from verses 19 through 21, they all begin with the word for, which is a preposition that speaks to the purpose of something. Well, He's telling you why. But we're also going to see how we do this. How is it? We've talked about what and we've talked about why and we'll talk about why more today. But we're going to see very clearly, how do we keep ourselves under authority in a way that pleases God? This is critical. Look at verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted, for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Now, this word, thankworthy, this is the first and only mention of the word in Scripture. And the meaning is found in the word itself. It defines itself. Uh, thankworthy just speaks to something that is worthy Of giving thanks. That's the word. And that is justified for us in verse 19 if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Christians were suffering, but Christians who were slaves or who were of the the, the servant class, if you would, they were suffering the greatest. They had pagan masters who were brutal and evil and cruel. And so there, it wasn't just the government, but it was also those that they worked for or they were slaves of. They were pagan and just godless. But for conscience toward God, that is with God in mind, and this is critical, whatever you're going through or when you're going through something, you always have to keep God in mind. With God in mind, for conscience toward God, they were to endure grief and suffer wrongfully. The Apostle Paul suffered greatly, and he suffered often, but he too suffered with God in mind. Consider Acts twenty-four sixteen, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Even in suffering, his conscience was void of offense, not just toward men, but toward God. So whatever you're going through, listen, you never get to tell God, I'll get back to you some other time. I'm not concerned with what you think about this or anything like that. I'm in a very hard spot, and so, yeah, whatever. No, we always have him in mind. It was thankworthy for those who, for conscience toward God, to endure grief and suffer wrongfully. And we have to clarify how we do this. This word, thankworthy, is only used here, but it was translated from the Greek word that is often translated as grace. And you see this about 130 times in our Bible. So to be under authority, if you're going to be under authority in a way that pleases God, listen very carefully, we must grow in grace. We must grow in grace. Cannot do it any other way. Suffering in a thankworthy way, listen, is not something that you and I can manufacture in the flesh. Cannot do it. You cannot and you will not suffer in a thankworthy way just because somehow you muster that up. That can only be done by grace. That requires the grace of God, which is why I believe that thanks ultimately goes to him. Because when we suffer at the hands of others, the flesh is only conscious, listen, toward itself, not God. So to override that, you have to grow in grace. To override that, to die to your flesh in those moments, you have to grow in grace, You cannot do it any other way. But how did Jesus endure suffering and taste death for every man? You say, well, he was God. Yes, in the flesh. He felt the nails. He felt the scourging. He felt all of it. He, listen, just because he was God in the flesh, he did not get a pass on the pain and suffering. There are no shortcuts at Calvary. He felt all of it. How did he endure that immense brutality, that immense suffering, unimaginable? How did he do that? Ephesians or Hebrews 2 verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's how he did it. That's how he did it. By the grace of God. Listen, if God's grace enabled Christ to be able to endure that, are you really trying to tell me, are you trying to convince yourself that God's grace is somehow insufficient for what you're facing? Come on. If the grace of God could get Christ through that... What can you throw at it? See, God's grace empowers us to endure grief and suffer wrongfully. We can't do that in the flesh. We can't. We won't. Peter closes 2 Peter by commanding us to grow in what? Grace. 2 Peter 3.18. But let me give you two very critical verses there are many more if we're talking about grace, but for the sake of this discussion, let me give you two very critical verses if you are going to grow in grace, if I'm going to grow in grace. Ephesians 2, actually three verses, sorry about that. Um, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Hey, everybody, listen. (laughs) If we're talking about God's grace, we all have to reconcile that when it comes to grace, he is exceedingly rich. Exceedingly rich, and what does he desire to do with all that grace? He's got a lot of it. What does he want to do with it? Listen, God is not a hoarder, right? God isn't like I got all this grace, man. Oh, I bet you can use some, can't you? Oh no. No, he desires to show it toward us through Christ Jesus. He is exceedingly rich. It has to grieve him to watch us struggle. And God says, I've I've got more grace than you could ever imagine. But you just seem dead set on doing this on your own. Okay. Okay. God says, I always have and I always will respect free will. I will respect your choice. Even though it is 100% wrong, you get to make it. How about James 4, 6? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Therein lies the problem. One of the reasons that we're not growing in grace is because of our pride. I got it. I can get through this. You can't. Please hear this. God's grace is exceedingly greater than anyone or anything that we face. Name it and multiply it by a million. God's grace is exceedingly greater than anyone or anything that we face. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to grow in grace, we must see grace as something beyond the cross. So many of us are stuck there when it comes to grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Amen. Yes, praise the Lord. So after God saved us by grace through faith, I guess he just ran out. No, 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 no. He is exceedingly rich in grace, not just at Calvary. Whatever you're facing, whatever you are going to face, if God desires to show it toward us through Christ Jesus and give us more grace, then why aren't we desperate for more? And why aren't we asking for more of it? Listen, one of the things that is making this situation in your life and in in a a class this size, even if it was just this section right here (laughs) or just this section over here, okay? We're all dealing with something. And one of the things that makes that situation harder than it needs to be is your lack of desperation for and dependence on the grace of God, yes. you keep trying this, and you keep trying that. Well, let me see if I read this. Well, let me let me talk to this person. Let me let me try this. Let me. I wonder. If, wait a minute, Father. Your word says that you are exceedingly rich in grace. Your word says that you give more grace. God, this situation is much greater than I. But, Father, by faith, I don't believe it is greater than your grace. So for your glory, please give me more grace. I think God will hear that. Cry out, God, please. More. I'm that weak. I'm that incapable. I'm that unable, God. Verse 20 for what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently? This is acceptable with God. Listen, <laughs> some then and some now often mistake reaping for suffering. This is a problem. To be buffeted or beaten for being a slothful servant and to take it patiently was not suffering. That was reaping what you've sowed. I see this quite a bit where people will go out and they will make a mess of their lives and make foolish decisions and say, Pray for me, I'm under attack. No, you're not under attack. You are attacking yourself. You're not suffering, you're reaping. Let's not get it twisted. You don't have a choice but to take it patiently. You did this to yourself, but the glory was revealed in the servant when they did well, suffered for it, and took it patiently. Now there's glory revealed. They did not argue or try to defend themselves, and that. Was and is acceptable with God. Listen, to be under authority well, we must grow and glorifying God. If we're gonna be under authority in a way that pleases God, we have to grow and glorifying God. The phrase at the end of verse 20 is so very critical. This is acceptable with God. That's a critical phrase. For this reason, what this tells us is there is an acceptable way to suffer and there is an unacceptable way to suffer. We have to get that. <clears throat> Especially as Americans, because what we tend to do when we're suffering and we're in a hard place, we quickly become victims. Poor me. And that leads to suffering in a way that's not acceptable with God. Look at my life. Look at my problems. Look at my situation. Oh, my goodness. So how do we suffer in a way that is acceptable with God? Well, for one, you have to understand as much as God notices your suffering, he absolutely watches how you're suffering. He does. While you may not care about that, that's what I'm saying, your conscience, you have to keep God in mind. If you keep God in mind, you will suffer in a way that's acceptable with him. But if you become a victim... Well, then surely you're not thinking about the Lord. You're not thinking about what glorifies him. All you're thinking about is, man, I am so uncomfortable. When is this going to be over? And why is God doing this to me? And why did God let this happen? And I can't believe this. And I, I pray, I, I read my Bible, and I tie and go to church. And, and, and what is the problem? Now, here's what's interesting. This word acceptable was also translated from the same Greek word, that was translated as thankworthy. Grace. That's why <laughs> we must grow in grace. Because we can only glorify God and suffer in a way that is acceptable with Him if we're walking and growing in grace. No other way. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak then am I strong. That's how you suffer in a way that is acceptable with God. Paul did not see himself as a victim. One of the telltale signs that you are not growing in grace and your desire to glorify God is not there is you do not suffer well. You do not suffer well. You don't hold up under, under trials. You wilt. You quit. You crawl into a hole. You hide. You isolate. You lick your wounds. You feel sorry for yourself. All the while quietly blaming God. You talk back. You get defensive. Argumentative murmur. Elicit others to just cuddle you and just give you lots of attention and, and, and just, you know, because God just doesn't have his act together. Here's why all of that is unacceptable with God. Look at verse twenty-one. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Listen, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Who. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. It is unacceptable with God to suffer wrongly because suffering in a way that is unacceptable to God, listen, is not Christ like. That's why it's unacceptable, because it's not how Christ suffered. It's not Christ-like to suffer in a way that is unacceptable with God. It's not. I think we forget sometimes that, listen very carefully, we've titled this part of our study in 1 Peter as under authority. Guess what? Christ was under authority. (laughs) He was under authority to God the Father, but he placed himself under the authority of men that he was a million times greater than. Men who were wicked, unrighteous, sinful, unholy, defiled, wicked, prideful, arrogant, and he put himself under them. He showed us how to be under authority and suffer in a way that is acceptable with God. And some of us reason, well, he just doesn't understand what I'm going through. Really? He has no idea what it's like to to be under authority to these people. Oh, no, he does. You know, the truth is, uh, so many of us, so many believers say, I want to be like Christ. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Especially in Bible study. Man, I want to be like Jesus. The problem is we really don't know what that really means because the Bible makes it very clear what that looks like. We see here that being like Christ involves suffering. That's the example that he set for us to follow, but there's another example that he gave us. It's not just suffering. There's another S. Look at John 13, beginning verse 14. Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and Master have washed your feet ye also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you and say it with me yes. example that ye should do as i have done to you verily verily i say unto you the servant is not greater than his lord neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him you want to be like christ you do you sure you want to be like christ you, 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 you want to please God? That would please God for you to be like Christ. It would please God for me to be like Christ. But listen, to be like Christ is to answer the call to serve and suffer well. Oh, I thought I was going to be a Bible scholar. I thought I was going to get a big title in the church, a nice fancy position. No, no, you want to be like Christ. Answer the call to serve. Wash feet And suffer well. That's the example that he gave us. I mean, something is trivial, I mean trivial, sorry, in in terms of of weight, but but what some of the things that Jason was talking about. That's simple. (laughs) To to, you know, there's Mark sitting here. If I didn't know Mark and Mark just walked in the Life Fellowship and I just walked by Mark, do I really want to be like Christ? (laughs) If Jesus was, which he is a member, if Jesus was in the flesh, a member of Life Fellowship, and Mark walked in the room and he did not know Mark, do you think he would just walk by Mark? No, the example that Christ gave us is it's not about me, it's about people. It's, it's, it's I mean, some of us, we have these grandiose ideas and, and we think very big and God is saying, you are tripping over 100,000 things that please me because you've got your own ideas about what you think this looks like. Here's what it looks like. Serve and suffer well. what it looks like. You have to understand, folks, being under authority involves suffering. Thus, you will be unfairly treated by a superior in the workplace, maybe a police officer. Maybe a government official. Or how about this? A leader in the church. Or how about a husband at home? But if you are following in the steps of Christ, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do what he did. You will simply commit yourself to God that judges righteously and respond in a way to all of that that is acceptable with him. That's how you will handle that if you really want to be like Christ. Verse 24, "'Who is own self bear our sin,' Our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We were all as sheep going astray, were we not? But praise the Lord, through his death, burial, and glorious resurrection. We have been made alive, but notice very carefully how we are to therefore live. Verse 24, should live unto righteousness. If we're going to keep ourselves under authority in a way that is acceptable with God, listen, we must be given to doing right. We must be given to doing right. I hope you understand by now. <laughs> None of us can make anyone do right. None of us. Especially when we're talking about carnal people. <laughs> You're not going to make anybody do right. And this is one of the reasons that some Struggle greatly with being under authority. Listen, the only person that you will ever make do right is yourself. But listen very carefully. If you're not growing in grace, and if you're not growing in your desire to glorify God, you won't even do right. Listen, God redeemed us to live unto righteousness knowing that many around us will not do right and treat us right. Do you know this? God knows this. God knows that there are people around us who are not going to do right, and they are not going to treat us right. But God says, you must be given to doing what's right. It doesn't matter what anybody... Listen, as wonderful as my bride is, she's also flesh. And sometimes she doesn't think, speak, and do right. So that gives me permission to respond in kind, right? No. No, I'm called to be and do right. I don't say, well, as soon as you get your act together and you start doing right, then I will. This is how many marriages work. It's awful, immature, carnal, (laughs) unacceptable with God. God says, no, you know what's right. What does the Bible tell us? To him who knows what's right and doeth it not to him, it is what? It's sin. Do right. I want to share one of the most overlooked passages regarding the Holy Spirit And it has everything to do with this conversation this morning. It's in your notes, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Here we go, verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, right? No, no, no. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the lord when we're talking about the fruit of the spirit galatians 5:22 and 23 get all the press let's be biblicists because just because verse 9 of ephesians 5 is in parentheses listen does not mean it's not inspired Right? It doesn't mean that, oh, we, we can just kind of, it's, it's in we can just kind of skip over that. Listen, a, a, a parenthetical statement, all it does is it clarifies another statement. that's all Paul was doing. He was clarifying what he had just said, but in clarifying, he's giving you more data on what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. When you walk in the Spirit, you will be given to doing right, regardless. Of who's doing wrong, and regardless of who is doing wrongfully to you. But walking in the Spirit is how we suffer in a way that is acceptable with God. Notice verse 10 proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You wanna grow in grace? You wanna grow in your desire to glorify God? You wanna be given to doing right? Here's what we must understand your flesh does not. Your flesh does not want to grow in grace. Your flesh wants to grow in more self sufficiency. Your flesh does not want to grow and glorify in glorifying God. Your flesh wants vainglory. Your flesh only wants to do what's right if it finds or sees incentive. But the spirit that indwells you, oh, it wants you to be all about righteousness. It wants you to be given to doing right. So give him control. Here's why. And we're wrapping it up here. Look at verse 21 again. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Brothers and sisters, what we have just read, without a doubt, is the most ignored calling in all of the Christian life. This is the most ignored calling in all of the Christian life. We have been called to suffering. We have. Despite the spiritual, mes- spiritual messaging of mainstream Christianity today, listen, we cannot follow in his steps without suffering. Is that not what that verse says? How can you truly follow in his steps? If he is our example, and that is the example we are to follow. Follow. How do we do that without suffering? If you are carnally minded, like we heard Friday morning in life prayer, it will be impossible for you to have the mind of the spirit, spiritually minded. And this sets the stage for you to suffer in a way that grieves the spirit of God. And God finds it unacceptable. See, the problem is, is we say we want to be like Christ, but then we don't want this calling because it's what we've been all called to. And so what we do is, is now we just fight and war with God all the way. Because God says, I've called you to this, but every time this shows up in your life, you run from me. you don't want this calling, but you can't be like my son without embracing it. I want to give you a very simple exercise this week, and I would encourage you to do it, not because of me, but I would encourage you to take the notes that you have, the handout that you have this morning, and you just pick one day, just one day this week, whatever day you're led to do it. And just look at those verses, read the text that we just taught through, look at the principles that we laid out, and just spend a day with God just praying through all that. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. Um, I trust that we've heard from you today. I know I have. And God, it was... uh, in a good way, I've been distracted, Lord, just thinking about this for days and, and um, just very sober. This is a, a very sober text to wrestle with this calling that in my flesh, I want nothing to do with. I want to be like Christ, but Lord, if I'm honest in my flesh, I don't want to suffer but God, it is better to suffer and become more like Christ than to not suffer and just be carnal and sin. God, help us to take this day with you and, and really commune with you and fellowship with you and listen to what you would say to us as we think on these things. Amen.